Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I'm your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. And today we're speaking with Jackson Galaxy. Jackson is the host and executive director of Animal Planet's hit show, My Cat from Hell, a two-time New York Times bestselling author, and has over 20 years of experience as the cat daddy. He first found his calling while spending the better part of a decade on staff at an animal shelter. True to his goal of helping save the 4 million plus animals who die in shelters each year, he works closely with rescue organizations, including through the Jackson Galaxy Foundation. Jackson, I'd like to welcome you to the show, and I'm so honored that you have been willing to join me today. Oh, thank you so much, Stacey. My honor, right back at you. For those of you who might not know specifically about your background, and I have to say, over the last couple of days, I spent the, the time reading Cat Daddy, and I had a good cry this morning over, over Benny's passing. But I just was wondering if you might share with folks you know, how you did get started. I started by just taking a job at an animal shelter. I, really, I wasn't really, at that point driven to, you know, have a career in animal welfare. I just needed a job. I was a musician full-time, and of course that means I was doing nothing full-time. And so <laughs> I took a job as an animal welfare associate, and uh, which is cleaning cages and doing adoption counseling and cleaning more cages. And it really was pretty rapid. First of all, the whole cat thing happened in a very serendipitous way. It just, I really didn't have a whole lot of experience with cats up until that point, but it just, when I would be in a room with cats, they would pick me. They would just sort of seek me out and, and I would reciprocate. And it became really clear to the people I worked with that I was the cat guy. They just sort of anointed me. I was cat boy. And then the learning followed. And of course the passion followed from that. When you are in a relatively high kill shelter like we were, you learn fast. And it, there are many stakes involved with that learning. So yeah, that's how we started. I found, with me at least, people would say, well, how did you choose this path? And I'm like, I did not choose it. It, it As you say, it chose me. A problem or a challenge presented itself, and I said, okay, let's take this on. Then there's another challenge. Okay, let's turn this direction and let's take this on. So you didn't really think about where you were going, but you just started going places and you kind of figured out you, you would end up in a better place as you went along. Yeah, back then, well, even to a certain degree now, it's not like you sit there and go, okay, I want to be a cat behavior consultant. I mean, it wasn't even a job back then. And, but it was, so it wasn't like I was looking career. I still assumed that I was going to make it as a musician and this was just going to be what would pay the bills. And there were sort of defining moments along the way where you just got to accept what the universe has handed you. And I did. And it seemed like, based on reading your book, you were always willing to try different things for every cat. And the experience that I had with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, you know, we had all varieties, all shapes and sizes and temperaments, 
of cats. And we were willing to try spirit essences, different behavioral things, different foster home scenarios, trying to find out what would work best for that cat. I sort of say we're all odd and dysfunctional, and it's just finding the odd and dysfunctional person that works with the odd and dysfunctional cat in a certain way. I think that thinking outside of the box is so helpful for all of us who are working with cats and community cats, all kinds, in shelters, as well as those on the streets. I think the thing that sort of served me back then, it serves us now, there is no box, right? I mean, it's a box to think outside of. You are allowed to use your knowledge in whatever way is going to further that cat's life, that singular cat, that one that you're working with at that moment. And then, of course, you take whatever theories or the happy accidents you wound up stumbling on and then applying it to others. But for me, being a, you know, a pretty crappy student my entire life and somebody who made their way as an artist and not a scientist by any stretch of the imagination, that part of my brain is not horribly functional. I approach cats as an artist would and back it up with science. That allowed me what I consider for me pretty significant breakthroughs because I was used to not following rules and cats don't follow rules for the most part. So it's a very freeing thing. Cats appreciate that you walk into the room without any set biases. Right. Or expectations. I mean, you would love it for the cat to meet you halfway, but as we both know, that's not always the case. So it, it, it really, going in is a blank slate, going in, without a lot of ego and going in as a as a really passionate observer. That's what gets us to where we need to go. So as we approach cats that we're trying to get to know in shelters, and maybe you can touch upon some of the work that the Jackson Galaxy Foundation is doing with this in shelters, and how do we work with cats in that sort of environment? It's not easy. My earliest work and the thing that I feel like I really still can bring to the table is trying to get the best out of a cat who is without territory, without stability, in a a state of sort of shock, and a lot of times in a two-by-three cage. There's still things that you can do for them and with them, first and foremost, to help their adoptability. And yeah, we are doing that with the Jackson Galaxy Foundation right now. You know, one of the best programs we're working with is called Cat Positive. And Cat Positive takes the techniques that I used in terms of the positive reinforcement with cats in cages and got them to turn around, got them to quote unquote sell themselves, got them to feel their cat mojo again, to find some confidence and just as importantly, to get the staff and volunteers and foster parents a sense of purpose as they work with these cats and not just sort of comforting them, which I think we all sort of fall into if given the chance. So Cat Positive has been a great success. We, we are now in our second round of shelters. I was just in Philadelphia a few days ago and I got to meet up with the folks at ACT in Philly. And wow, that was amazing. I mean, to see how these simple techniques are getting these cats adopted, getting them in, in a lot of ways out of that sort of shocked shell they're in. And really, like I said, giving the staff and volunteers a sense of purpose. It's, uh, it's, it really made me feel amazing to see it in action. 
Are there a couple of tips that you could share from that program that might be beneficial for all of us? Learning clicker training and realizing that positive reinforcement or clicker training is applicable to all species, not just dogs. It's something where as long as you adjust your expectations and as long as you know what you're trying to get from the cat you're working with, just doing that work invigorates them. It gives the shelter worker a new vocabulary and it allows you to pass this on to the adopter. Look, this is what I've been working on with with Fred. These are his, his strengths and weaknesses. This is what he can do now. And it gives them that almost instant bond that an adopter can take with them. So really, the basics of clicker training, if you as somebody working with cats don't know it yet, get on it. I think it's really, really key. I read first about clicker training for cats maybe about 10 or 15 years ago, and it was a big surprise to me at that point in time. I, I never thought that it would take, but it seems to be fantastically popular for cats at this point in time. As opposed to dogs, where part of the motivation for them is to please you, to get approval. We, we all know the cats don't care at all about that. So it's about finding that motivation. And, and in many ways, food motivation is what really floats the boat here. And yeah, like I said, we all learn the same way, whether we're cat or hippopotamus, we all learn the same way. And as long as you know what you're aiming for, but just the activity of training just keeps their mind active, keeps their, their body active and keeps them connected with humans. So you have a new season starting, season eight of your hit show, My Cat from Hell. Um, it starts right up on April 29th on Animal Planet. Are there any little uh, little treats that you could share with us from the upcoming season? One of the things that I've really found very pleasing to me as the seasons have gone on and as I've, I've, I've been able to sort of... <laughs> push the agenda a little bit is that our work with community cats has gotten much more present and shelter animals as well each season we've done at least one episode that featured tnr or really shining a light on community cats and this season one of the things that i'm really happy about is that another component of the foundation which is called operation homeward bound it highlights how it took shape which was again very much in the moment where here in LA, we're, we are having a community cat crisis of kind of epic proportions. And as we try to push the city towards a no-kill reality, it's cats and specifically kittens that are really throwing a huge obstacle at us. So I had gotten a call from a friend of mine who works in one of the shelters, and she said that, look, we have 92 kittens here just today in one city shelter. And my shelter alma mater is the, the Humane Society of Boulder Valley in Boulder, Colorado. And, and the last time I was there, my friend, the director had said, listen, you know, if, if you have kittens, we could use kittens. For some reason, we always can get a kittens adopted. So I got the <laughs> brilliant idea to take a, a busload of kittens from LA to Colorado. And in the show, it was our, our second Homeward Bound run where me and Hannah Shaw, the kitten lady, took a trip with 50 kittens in, in a van from here to Colorado. And it, it's a story about that save 
and getting them adopted in Boulder. And it was a real, it, I mean, it's a, it's a full hour episode and it's something that I'm really proud of because we are bringing the crisis to the forefront, but in a way where I think we're sending that really loud and clear message that, hey, you can do something. This is not something that we sit there and bemoan. We're at a, a point in our development as compassionate beings that we can change something immediately. Sure, putting 50 kittens in a van and driving them 20 hours is a little much of a big thing. There is something that you can do, and that's the message that we're sending out there very loudly. And, and being able to have the platform that is Animal Planet and the Discovery Network is something that I'm really uh, incredibly grateful for. Does your organization not have a clear vision of what its goals and objectives are? Does it seem like everyone on your board has a different idea of what you should be doing and how to do it? Well, I can help you with a visioning workshop. I offer affordable, quick and painless strategic planning services for a small organization. I can even offer my services virtually. Are you interested? Just reach out to me at Stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, at communitycatspodcast.com. Thanks for all the great testimonials. Keep sending them in and submitting reviews on iTunes. I just thought I would share one testimonial from Wingchair, a visit to a whole new world. Although I thought I knew something about community cats, TNR, and other forms of outreach to help homeless cats and kittens, every single podcast I've listened to has taught me vast amounts of new material and provided many terrific ideas. It's a wonderful thing you're doing here, so please keep it going. Keep on sending in those testimonials, and thanks to Wingchair for that great testimonial. Also, I'd appreciate it if you'd go to iTunes and post a five-star review there. That would be great help. Thanks so much in spreading the word about the Community Cats podcast. It's so wonderful to hear about thinking about different solutions, how to think outside of that box. It's always thinking outside of that box for your community cats. Every community has different challenges. L.A. has different challenges from New York City, from Chicago, from you know, Miami. They all have different challenges, but yet they all have the same community cats. And they have their different tools in the toolkit that you need in order to be able to be successful to help reduce that population, to help reduce the number of kittens who come into shelters. And each city has their own package of resources that they need to either expand or develop. And it just sounds like in L.A. you're having that conversation that you're working towards overall reduction of overpopulation in Boulder my understanding is the population situation there is very different than what it was like 20 years ago. Looking out at what you've known about community cats over the last 20 years, what have you seen looking backwards for like the life of community cats? And then what do you see things happening for community cats going forward? As you know, I mean, it was a pretty bleak reality. Back then, 20 years ago, there just was so little in the way of a plan. TNR wasn't really part of a overall agenda or coherent approach. And a lot of cats were still being rounded up and brought to shelters where, of course, they died. What we see now for people like you and I who have been a part of this for 20 years is so exciting because at the same time that education is really taking root, awareness is taking root, people are aware of the cats that they share their community with, they're taking ownership of those cats, meaning that 
they say, okay, this is my community, my community cats, what can we do? I was just in New York doing a cat camp, a great gathering of, of like-minded people, having a great time. And the community cat message there is being felt loudly and clearly. The Mayor's Alliance of New York, the Feral Cat Initiative in New York, they certify anybody to come on in there and become certified in TNR and lead efforts in their community to take control of this situation. We featured the Feral Cat Initiative on an episode of My Cat from Hell last year, and it was an amazing thing. You know, there's one guy and his dad living on Staten Island in the most horrible situation, sitting there helplessly, sorry to get graphic, but picking frozen kittens off the street and having that turnaround, just a little bit of education coupled with the compassion they already felt and the know-how from the Mayor's Alliance. And boom, that guy is now teaching throughout Staten Island and trapping throughout Staten Island. People want to make a difference. They want to help. They just need a way forward. I think that that's what unites New York, LA, Miami, Chicago, and every place else in between, is that as long as there is available resources, people who will just teach you how to trap, traps for rent, a hotline of some sort where people can get the information so they don't feel helpless, then these community cats will live. And I think that that's where I see us going, is that we will, at some point, of course, get a handle on this. And that's one of the reasons I'm still working is because I want to see the life of community cats be exposed and to, to be bettered. And I think that one purpose that I have when I started this show was to make the concept of trap new to return commonplace. It's what you did. You didn't question it as an alternative. It's just what we do. It's what we do with our community cats that it becomes part of our common language and it can be neighbor to neighbor. It doesn't have to be, oh, I have to go to the shelter or I have to find this from an animal control officer or from some specific resource. It's that it's just embedded in the community. And that's sort of my dream is that if people are going to a food shelf to pick up food for themselves and ideally pick up food for their cats and their dogs, and if they have some cats they're feeding in their backyard, that's where they're going to find the resources, information out about trap neuter return program or the low cost bay neuter clinic nearby where they can get traps and get the cats trapped. So, you know, I just want it to be so much out there. And I think obviously you do too. It's just, it's just out there so that it's available and we just keep spreading it and spreading it and spreading it. So it just becomes part of our, our culture. The thing about thinking outside the box is so important. A anybody can take what they know and get it out there in a novel way. I walk around with one of my foundation shirts, which says in letters larger than life, trap, neuter, return. When I meet people on the street, they look at that shirt and they go, what the hell is that? And I tell them what that is. Or I have my art, I heart feral cats shirt on. And Stacey, people still don't know what the word feral means. And we're getting that word out there. And it happens one person at a time. One of the things that is so important, and this is one of the real platforms of the foundation's goals, is that for trappers, historically, it's a crappy life. It's solitary. There was very little in the way of a feeling of community among trappers and people who worked TNR for no money and in the dead of night and in really crappy neighborhoods and having that feeling of a treadmill. They were just 
that they would never stop. That really establishing a sense of community amongst trappers and people who advocate for community cats, I think is really important because we historically have burned people out. And I think that that's the thing that really gets me the most is between shelter workers and feral cat workers. There's historic burnout, compassion fatigue, and we need to support these people, get them to the point where someone who's been trapping for 10 years, get that person in front of other people to spread their knowledge, the light that they have to shine. It's important to get all of these guys out of the shadows, literally and figuratively. I agree. It's good for them as well as it's good for us. It is a very, it can be a very isolating business, so to speak. And it's one of the things that I worked really hard in Massachusetts, which was trying to communicate with other shelters as well as communicate with the volunteers and try and get us to figure out that this was going to be a group project, you know, statewide. Let's look at it as a group project. And we all have challenges. We share a day in our life. There's what's called the Massachusetts Animal Coalition. So there was a whole coalition formed for the state. And I think that really did help provide some support, especially for the very small rescues that were two or three people. And then you can have a lot of infighting and, and that kind of stuff. But you touched upon compassion fatigue. You're a musician. So do you rely upon your music to help release you from the stresses that you feel? You know, it's funny because ever since the show started and my work really became hyper-focused, the books that I've been writing and the, and the teaching that I do and the work I do with shelters, it's been really tough to find a time to do much of anything. But yeah, to be honest, the thing that I have time to do is I stay deeply connected to my relationships. I stay connected to my wife. I stay connected to my animals. Coming home and, you know, I travel a ton coming home to my family is really, it charges those batteries. Uh, music for me will always be something that sustains me for sure. Look, going to act in Philly the other day and spending my day with those guys at that shelter charged my batteries like nothing else could. And so my work really sustains me, but I'm lucky in that way. And somebody who is working in a high kill shelter, who is faced with the day-to-day -day realities of euthanasia, they don't get that. The bully pulpit that I have right now, look, the, the reason why I feel absolutely qualified to go out there and say, let's shine this light that every one of these workers has and every one of these foster parents and every one of these volunteers is that if it weren't for the fact that I went up to my boss at, at, the, at the Humane Society and I said, listen, I got this idea. What if we, basically that was, what if we, if I went to people's homes when they called up and said, I'm going to turn my cat into you guys. And I went to their house and spent just a little bit of time with them. What if I did that to see if we can keep these cats from coming in? And if, if she didn't say, yes, you know what? I know you're good at this. Go ahead, do it. I wouldn't be here right now. I, I wouldn't, I probably still wouldn't be in animal welfare. I would probably have burned out because I, I was just doing animal welfare work there without being able to graduate to something else. And I would have burned out. It's, it's incumbent upon the administrators of these organizations to give their workers and volunteers a way up and out 
of the trenches. Take that experience, take that know-how, take that passion and shine that light. One of the things that we're about to do, we've coupled with the Petco Foundation to do, it's almost a version of, uh, it's almost like Shark Tank or something like that, where we have uh, shelters and rescue organizations coming to us with new and innovative ideas. We look at them, we do it almost like, like the show itself and fund what we consider to be the most innovative ideas and the most passionate ideas from the most passionate people. And that's really exciting. But like, like we've been saying about compassion fatigue, there is a way around it. And that's investment. You invest in these people, they will invest in the animals and we will find the solution because that solution is going to come from the inside out. And there's, I have no doubt in my mind about that. I used to love it when people would come up to me and say, you know, Stacy, I've got this idea. And I'd be like, oh, yay. Exactly. It's like, look, if, and, and this isn't just shelter workers, folks. I mean, this is everybody. If some, if you think to yourself, I want it, what if we dot, 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 you got to follow that and it's got to be heard. If my wife and I hadn't been sitting in bed and our friend called us and she turned to me and said, well, what if we just put a bunch of kittens in a van and just drove them to Boulder? Right. Those 50 cats wouldn't have been saved. They wouldn't have been able to make room for 50 more kittens. And we wouldn't have said 100 kittens in one fell swoop. And maybe that sounds like a drop in the bucket, but they're big drops. Well, yeah. And it's action. I mean, because you've done it, too, and you brought it to the public, other people will be like, well, maybe I can do it for 20, you know, 20 kittens or 10 or whatever. So it just it helps give people some motivation, too. And also, one thing we haven't mentioned also is the revolution, I think, that is a shelter neuter return uh, movement so that community cats, as opposed to when I was in Boulder and, and shelters all around us were rounding up ferals and bringing them into the shelter, these cats now are never hitting the system that shelters themselves are investing in TNR. They never hit the shelter themselves. The shelter numbers are better than they ever were, and these cats' lives are being saved. And it's small steps like that that are going to pay huge dividends. Definitely. And once those cycles kick in, it just it becomes a tremendous drop of numbers into the shelters. It's just, I mean, I have coined the term um, called the kitten-free zone and how to get there in two to three years. I've done it with several communities. And, and they're like, in the beginning, there's no way we're not going to see kittens. And then three years later, they're like, what is a kitten? We don't see anymore, you know, that kind of it's thing. It's amazing, right? I mean, we saw it, it initially in San Jose, that was one of the best large-scale experiments on with SNR where their numbers turned around almost overnight. It was so easy that we almost thought, well, what are we doing wrong here? (laughs) Like, what are we missing something? Because again, it's just a matter of someone saying, what if we did this? Jackson, if folks are interested in finding out more about the foundation and also about your show, your upcoming season, how would they do that? Well, uh, as far as the foundation goes, I'd love for you to go to the Jackson, uh, just jacksongalaxyfoundation.org and find out more about how you can help uh, in your community and, of course, how you can help us spread that word. Take a look at us on, on all of the social media outlets. We're, we're everywhere right now, and we're doing some exciting things. But, of course, we can't do those exciting things without you guys. As far as My Cat from Hell, Season 8 will be premiering on April 29th, Saturday night, on Animal Planet. We've got 12 episodes coming your way, including the one I just told you about. And if you go to animalplanet.com, you will find everything you need about the upcoming season.
Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? You know, I, I mean, I think that we've been talking about this the entire time, and I just want to put that word out there that there is always something that you can do. And it doesn't have to be big things. You have a neighbor who's got an intact dog. Tell them about spay and neuter. You can tell your neighbors about the feral cats that are in your neighborhood. You can teach about TNR. You can foster. We need foster parents like crazy around this country. And fostering has so much of a great payoff for you as well as for the animals. You can just adopt. You can volunteer. But there's always something you can just donate to an organization that you believe in and want to see them thrive. Support in some way. Do something. Every something that you do will save somebody. Jackson, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show, and and I hope we'll have you on in the future. My pleasure, Stacey, anytime. The Community Cats podcast will soon be a year old, with over 200 episodes profiling amazing people who are all making a difference in the lives of community cats. If you would like to support the show, but not be a sponsor, feel free to contribute to our efforts by going to www.communitycatspodcast.com and follow the donate link. Help us to continue to provide excellent programming. 